Hello, my rebels. Today, I take you through a so-called disinformation study by the University of Calgary. And as an alumnus of that place, I'm deeply embarrassed for their low standards of academic rigor. This is just so embarrassing. And it won't surprise you to know that the lead author is paid both by Justin Trudeau and the vaccine companies. I just don't know why they accept that conflict of interest. But it's a disinformation study. And I think it's a great case study of how the word disinformation is just a new way of deplatforming anyone you disagree with. I'll take you through the study. You can be the judge of it. That's ahead. But I really want to invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. I want you to see the document itself. I'm going to take you through the document. I want to show you the words. I want to show you his weird graphs and charts. And I know if you're just listening to a podcast, you don't, you're not able to stop and watch that. But the video version shows you that stuff. You can get the video version at rebelnewsplus.com. Eight bucks a month, my show every night, plus four weekly shows for my colleagues. That's 36 shows a month. For eight smackers, half the price of Netflix, what a bargain. But mainly, it's so you can see the video version. And we don't take any money from Trudeau, so we really do rely on your $8. That's rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, let me show you what a fraud this whole disinformation racket is. I have a gross example from the University of Calgary. It's June 9th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. When I was young, the left and the right debated there's a popular show on CNN called Crossfire, where you had two conservatives and two liberals go head to head. I liked it. Tucker Carlson, by the way, was one of the permanent conservative hosts, and they would rotate a guest in. Canada had a knockoff version of it called Face Off, which, when you think about it, is a great name, and it evokes images of hockey, very Canadian. I was a guest on that show from time to time when I was in my 20s. Judy Rebick, I don't know if you remember that name, she was the permanent host on the left. She was a left-wing feminist. And on the right, Claire Hoy was the name of the permanent conservative, and they would have guests on two at a time. I seem to recall Lori Goldstein going on from time to time on the conservative side. Those two shows, Crossfire and Face Off, are unthinkable now. Not because there would be no audience for it. I, I think there would be a, a big audience for it if they could really chew over big issues but rather because the left simply refuses to debate these days. They, they wouldn't do it. You couldn't find a prominent leftist to debate a conservative. They'd, they'd be attacked by their own kind, told not to platform the conservative. And remember, each of those shows from the 90s had the permanent host, but that they had the second debater who would be new every day. Um, that's how I got on, on Face Off. So even if you could find a leftist who could stomach a permanent host? I mean, Claire Hoy was a, was a pretty friendly guy, so it was easy for Judy Rabbit to get along with him. But you could imagine that every conservative guest of the day would be objectionable in some way to the left. If you're going to talk about anything of controversy, uh, think about it. They, they'd be skeptics about global warming. They'd be opposed to mandatory vaccines. 
They'd be skeptical of the lockdowns. They'd be resistant to transgenderism in women's sports, women's prisons. They'd have been pro-trucker convoy. I mean, each and every guest on the right on every given day would cause the left to start some cancel culture campaign. You know it's true. Even if you could find that permanent left-wing host who would be cool with it, and I, I, can't, I can't think of anyone in 2022 on the left, you sure couldn't find a network that would host it, certainly not the CBC, which hosted Face Off back in the day. And even if you could find some obscure channel, uh, the CRTC would kill it. It's impossible. I put it to you that conservatives would love to have such a show, love to engage in debate, but the left just doesn't debate anymore. They deplatform, they cancel, they dox, they destroy debate. I haven't seen it. Literally, Trudeau's government-controlled debates commission refused to let Maxime Bernier join the debates in the last election. And same commission refused to let Rebel News report on the debates twice in a row. We had to go to court twice to get a judge to let us in. And the media were fine with that, by the way. In fact, it's the media who leads the charge keeping us out. And my point here is that where in the past we might have debated each other, we no longer do. I mean, I like to, to debate, and I, I actually think most conservatives do, and I can't think of a single instance where a conservative activist, some group, ha has tried to deform a liberal or left-wing event, say, at a university or, or some other forum. I, I can't think of one. Maybe you can. Like, pro-life campus clubs are routinely banned. Have you ever heard of a pro-choice campus club being banned for, just for one example? Right-wing speakers are banned all the time. Just think of, I don't know, James O'Keefe, Ben Shapiro, and Coulter, but left-wing speakers, including actual terrorists like Omar Khadr, who spoke at a university in Nova Scotia a couple years back, if you recall, uh, they are welcomed with open arms. And, and so it is in the news media. Instead of writing a letter to the editor to disagree or writing a counterpoint, the move of the left these days is to cut off the debate altogether, to end it altogether, and that has been done in the past decade by calling things racist or sexist or Islamophobic or transphobic. But I, I think that's losing its power. People tune that stuff out now. I don't think it works as much anymore. The next move was to, to label it as some sort of insurrection or incitement. But I think the new move is to label things disinformation. As in, it's not a fact up for debate. It's not an opinion that we debate is it reasonable or not. It's not just wrong or unreasonable but something that is inherently poisonous that you can't even talk about, something that is the work of an enemy, something that even to say it proves that you're not only wrong, but disloyal and nefarious, and you yourself should be canceled and stopped from saying anything more, and certainly your words, words should not be given any time. That's what calling things disinformation is about. Now, 25 years ago, both sides would be on a TV show debating. Now, one side is scientifically and scholarly proving that the other side shouldn't even be listened to and that perhaps the police or at least some spy agency ought to get involved. Do you think I'm kidding? If you do, look at this disgraceful publication by my alma mater, the University of Calgary. It's from their very fancy school of public policy. And uh, it's called, you can see the cover of it here, it's called disinformation and Russia-Ukrainian war on Canadian social media. 
Now that's interesting to me because there is an enormous amount of disinformation about that subject. War is a hothouse for disinformation. Demoralize the other side. Use propaganda to pump up your own side. You might have heard uh, that in the Second World War, the Axis, the Nazis, and the Japanese Empire, they had English-speaking women who went on the radio talking to U.S. soldiers in, in the area. Uh, Tokyo Rose was the nickname of uh, a woman who spoke English to the American troops, telling them that not only were the Americans losing, but that their girlfriends and wives back home in America were cheating on them. You see what I mean? Demoralize the enemy propaganda. Um, the German version was called Axis Sally, broadcast in Europe. That's a kind of disinformation. And of course, in 2022, uh, 2022 the Ukraine war is just off the hook. We're in the era of, of social media and even deep fakes. I literally see the same photos being used by both sides of the war, claiming the other side committed an atrocity. It's really hard to figure out what's going on. And that's sort of the point, isn't it? And the fact that Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian boss, used to be a TV actor who played a pretend president in the movies, that makes it even blurrier what's real and what's acting, what's PR. And uh, the acting part, well, who would be writing the script for the actor? Um, the fact that actor Justin Trudeau uh, went to get his own photo ops in uh, tells me that there's a lot of propaganda going on. And, oh, my God, the fact that the rock band U2 went to Kiev and had a concert there for the cameras tells me the theater is a big part of what's going on. Sean Penn, the dramatic actor, was there with his own camera crew. Is, is he making a movie? Is he the star of the movie or is it Zelensky? Is, is it a work of fiction or nonfiction? I don't know. I don't trust a lot of people over there, especially since a few years ago. All the media and many observers were saying that there is a dangerous neo-Nazi group active in Ukraine called the Azov Battalion, Azov Battalion. But now the Azov Battalion, they're, they're the good guys and they're just sort of Nazis. They're not too Nazi-ish. And uh, anyways, shut up. This video has sent a shiver across Ukraine. The marching young men are far-right nationalists from the Nazionalny Druzhiny, or National Militia. They're at a sacred spot, Ukraine's crucible. Maidan, Independence Square in central Kiev. Yeah, so uh, lies on both sides, that's what war is like. Um, welcome to War in the Age of 2022. So I saw this publication by the University of Calgary. Here's how they tweeted about it yesterday. They said, Canadian social media is under attack. Disinformation in the Russia-Ukraine war. New report by J.C. Boucher, Jack Edwards, Jenny Kim, Abbas Badami, and Henry Smith tomorrow. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. So so they're attacking social media here in Canada. Like how are they how are they attacking? Are they are they hacking anything? Are they, are they, did they knock Twitter offline for a bit? What what do they mean by by an attack? Attacked by whom? Is Russia doing something or is it Ukraine or or maybe someone else? Frankly, uh, uh, NATO itself is the most likely, I think. 
What do they mean by attack? I wonder if that's some hyperbole. Well, here's what they say. Our research team has been collecting more than 6.2 million tweets globally since January 2022 to monitor and measure Russian influence operations on social media. We find that pro-Russian narratives promoted in the Canadian social media ecosystem on Twitter are divided into two large communities. One, accounts influenced by the sources from the United States, and two, those largely influenced by sources from international sources from Russia, Europe, and China. That's quite a mix, though, isn't it? Russia, Europe, and China. Okay, so, so they're only looking at the pro-Russia tweets, though. That's weird. For some reason, they don't think Ukraine is engaging in persuasion campaigns, which, which is pretty strange. And it maybe gives you a hint that just maybe uh, this isn't actually a real study. It's, uh, you know, oh, maybe it's a little bit of disinformation itself. Um, they say that pro-Russian narratives were influenced by the U.S. Or, or by Russia. I wonder how they know what influences someone to say something. And, and, and how do they decide that? Well, well, they tell us a little bit. I'm going to read this next paragraph in full. First, pro-Russian discourse on Canadian Twitter blames NATO for the conflict, suggesting that Russia's invasion was a result of NATO's expansionism or aggressive intentions towards Russia. In this context, pro-Russian propaganda argues that the West has no moral high ground to condemn the invasion, and nations such as Canada, the U.S., and the U.K. are trying to force Europe into this conflict to benefit materially. Let me read a little bit more. Second, it is suggested that Western nations are propping up fascists in Ukraine, thus justifying Russia's actions. Thirdly, pro-Russian narrative attempts to amplify mistrust of democratic institutions, be it the media, international institutions, or the liberal party government. You can see liberals capitalized. Faced with the challenges associated with foreign interference, it is important to gain a deeper understanding of the spread of disinformation in Canada. Okay. So obviously, expanding NATO right next to Russia's border, so Ukraine's been talking about entering NATO, um, that, that, that is expansionist, by, but that's what that word means. And Russian diplomats have been complaining about this to the West for more than 20 years, really. Uh, even before Vladimir Putin was president. Um, I don't think it's controversial to say that expanding NATO is expansionist. That's, that's what the word means. It's the dictionary definition of it. As to whether that's aggressive, um, well, the U.S. certainly thought it was aggressive when Russia put missiles on Cuban soil in the 1960s. The entire Monroe Doctrine says no Russians allowed to mess around in the Western Hemisphere. No foreign powers. Uh, is it pro-Russian to note the putting NATO right up against Russia uh, irritates Russia. I mean, are you are you pro-Russian for for observing that? Is it Russian propaganda to know that the Azov Battalion is neo-Nazi and they they say they, they say they are? I mean, uh, here's uh, the head of a Holocaust remembrance charity saying that working with the Azov Battalion is a racist disgrace, and this is in the Ottawa Citizen just a few months before the war. And here's the Canadian military trying to hide the fact that they met with those Nazis in the Azov Battalion. I mean, 
they're Nazis. I, I really don't think there's a good kind of Nazi, and uh, neither did any of the media until just a few weeks ago, really. You'll notice all of those newspaper clippings I showed you were from late 2021. Let me guess, Russian propaganda in a time machine or something? But that last one, that last point, thirdly, pro-Russian narrative attempts to amplify mistrust of democratic institutions, be it the media, international institutions, or the liberal government. Yeah, I, I don't know if Russia is trying to tell Canadians not to trust uh, the CBC or Justin Trudeau. I, I really don't think the Russians or anyone has to tell Canadians not to trust the CBC or Trudeau because we already don't trust the CBC or Trudeau and it's getting worse every year because they are distrustful. But blaming Russia for the fact that Canadians don't like the CBC or Trudeau, well, you have to be a bit of a government shill to believe that. I do ask that because, uh, you know, given Canada's support of Ukraine in this current crisis with Russia, it, I don't know if it's far-fetched to ask, but, but there is concern that Russian actors could be continuing to fuel things uh, as, this, as this protest grows, but perhaps even instigating it from, from the outset. Yeah, that's a conspiracy theory. What's, what's the word? Yeah, that's, that's, that's disinformation. Okay, so far, so boring. But flip ahead to what they call figure one. It's a very pretty picture, like a spirograph. At the top, you see just a few names, McFall. That's Michael McFall, who about 10 years ago was an ambassador to Russia. He's gone a little bit crazy these days. I mean, you be the judge of it. Um, here he is not only saying that Putin is worse than Hitler, but added his comment that Hitler's victims weren't ethnic Germans. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, let the, I'll let the German Jews know that. Uh, so you've got this extremist crank. You've got Trudeau, you've got POTUS, that stands for President of the United States, Joe Biden. And then an explicit propaganda outlet called the Kiev Independent, which is a newspaper. It's actually not independent at all. Um, it's a propaganda arm that received $200,000 in money from Trudeau and Christy Freeland. But more to the point, it's, it's one of the few media that Zelensky hasn't shut down. I don't know if you know this, but he has censored any critics in the country, both in the media and opposition parties. He's arrested them. So that's a really weird list of sort of good guys in this study. Um, those are the truth tellers, according to this bizarre study. And then look at who's on the bottom of this spirograph pretty picture. Oh, that's weird. Rebel News and, and me personally are there. Have you ever heard me promote Vladimir Putin in, in, in my life? Yeah, not really. I, I wrote two books about how we need to develop Canadian oil and gas to displace OPEC and Russian oil and gas. My book, Groundswell, had an entire chapter mocking Putin, calling him a thug, a bully, a crook. I, I don't think I can ever travel to Russia, and I don't think I ever will because I believe I'm genuinely at risk of being arrested or detained for writing the things I've written about Putin and doing, what, 50 TV programs saying we should displace Russian conflict oil with Canadian ethical oil? Imagine calling me pro-Putin or pro-Russia. I'm, I'm not, obviously. I just think that this war is atrocious and no one is calling for peace, and I'm really uncomfortable supporting the Nazi as a battalion, you'll forgive me. Uh, and those are my own personal views, uh, which I come by honestly. They may coincide with those views of others, 
But what's the conspiracy theory here that I am receiving instructions from some foreign entity? But look at what they call that image. Look at the title for this figure. Social network of Canadian Twitter, U.S.-influenced and Russia-influenced pro-Russian accounts are in magenta and red clusters, respectively. So, so if you're against the war, if you're, you're, you're considered pro-Russia uh, or you're or pro-America, whether you're, you, you, how, how does it even make sense? If America is for the war, putting $40 billion into the war, I, I don't understand what they're saying if you're U.S. influenced. I, maybe I'm missing it. They get even dumber then. Look, they, they got a couple of tables there. You see that table one and table two? They call it top U.S. influenced accounts and then top Russian influenced accounts. So do you see though, those are lists of Twitter accounts, okay? And this is a Canadian study for the University of Calgary. So just look at table one just for a second. I'm trying to understand this. Maybe you can help me. U.S. influenced accounts. And the number one name on the list is Tulsi Gabbard. Have you heard of her? She's a, she's a leading Democrat. She actually uh, contested the presidential nomination last time around. She's a Democrat from Hawaii. She actually served in the, in the National Guard. What does it mean that she's a U.S.-influenced Twitter user? She's a former congressman. She is American. What, what, what does it mean then? Aren't all Americans living in America U.S.-influenced? And what, what does she have to do with us up here, up here in Canada? Same thing with the second name, Jack Posobiec. You might recognize him. He's a, he's a journalist. Third name is Majid Nawaz. He's a Muslim man in the United Kingdom. Why is he on this Canadian list? Glenn Greenwald. Uh, they call him an American. He was born in America, but I happen to know he lives in Brazil with his Brazilian family and has for many years. D do they do they not know that? But again, what does any of those people have to do with Canada? You have to go far down their list until you get the first Canadian they name on the list. It's our friend Rupa Subramania. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, now, by the way, she was born in India. Now, I follow her pretty closely online. I'm a big fan of hers. I honestly can't remember her tweeting about, about this war at all. And I'm, I'm sure she has. But, but it's not a big focus of hers. Uh, she talks a lot about the truckers. What even is the point that she's U.S. influenced? Uh, but what does that mean? Because Joe Biden hates Putin it, it, and Biden's pumping in weapons into Ukraine. So, so what, what even is the message here? There's a few more Americans on the list. I'm on there too, which is weird. Are these ignorant fools at the University of Calgary saying that I, who wrote two books declaring Russian oil and gas to be an enemy to be fought, um, are they saying that I'm, I'm pro-Russian because I, I don't like the war there and don't think we should get involved? Or because I tweet against the Nazis and I don't trust Trudeau? How did they choose the names on there? What does it mean when they list a Brazilian as an American-influenced person, even though he opposes the U.S. government's position on the war? Why is he in a Canadian study about disinformation? Do you get the feeling that this whole racket is just hocus-pocus, junk science, made-up BS, again, just to come up with some fancy excuse for not debating things? Do you ever think that's a possibility? Look at table two. Um, most of those Twitter accounts are not even online anymore. I checked. Uh, I, I don't know what that means, but but it's so embarrassing. They obviously have no fact checkers at the, the University of Calgary. Their, their academic re rigor is very low. They called John Pilger, 
a Canadian. He's he's quite a famous Brit. Don't don't they know him? He was very much against the Iraq War. I'm not surprised that he's against this war. He's he's a famous anti-war type going back decades. I had never heard of most of the others on there. I mean, there's someone called um, Peace Pumpkin Pick. Uh, clicked on the link. It's some filmmaker with about 2,000 followers. Um, there's someone called Bill M., someone with a blue face with about 3,000 followers. Uh, there, I, I clicked on Hardbop34. That's just someone with 155 followers. Uh, are you getting my drift? The University of Calgary School of Public Policy is saying that one of the top <laughs> Russian influencers in Canada spreading Kremlin propaganda, and you saw the tweet, the social media is under attack. It, it's a Twitter account named Hardbop34 with 155 followers. Now, I scrolled through his account. I never heard of him before. Um, he tweets a, a few things about the war, interesting little factoids, actually, uh, for his 155 followers. Maybe I'll be his 156th. Um, how on earth is he on this list? How can this list be taken seriously? If he's on the top 10 list of Russian infiltrators... <laughs> and again, the only proof that he's a Russian uh, is that he, he doesn't trust Trudeau and he doesn't like the Nazi Azov battalion and he thinks maybe NATO surrounding Russia just might be irritating the problem. Sounds like we've got some professors at the University of Calgary uh, desperately in search of a problem to solve, or more likely, desperately in search of grants from Trudeau to demonize his enemies. But back to my main point here. How do they put people into the friends and enemies category here, these professors. Well, they told us, if you don't trust Trudeau or the CBC, you're part of the Russian plot. If you think this war is not a good idea, and maybe, you know, we shouldn't escalate it, you're a Russian shill. Seriously, let me, let me read. The predominant narrative justified Russia's invasion as a response to NATO expansionism. It tended to characterize the Russian invasion as a reasonable or expected consequence of the military alliance's continued admittance of former Eastern Bloc states, placing the borders of the alliance closer and closer to Russia. Well, I, well, if, if you're saying that this invasion was a predictable consequence, and if you think maybe that NATO is irritating Russia, I mean, that was its whole purpose, to fight against Russia, Got some terrifying news for you if you think that makes observe, making those observations makes you a, an enemy. Henry Kissinger, the American foreign policy guru for the last 50 years, who advised John F. Kennedy, who advised Richard M. Nixon. Just the other day, he spoke at Davos, actually, when our reporters were there. We didn't see him. Here's a headline. Uh, Kissinger says Ukraine should cede territory to Russia to end war. Yikes. They got you too, hey, Kissinger? You're a Russian agent now. Here's a former British foreign secretary saying sort of the same thing in the Financial Times, leading newspaper of the UK. Notable Russian propaganda outfit. Uh, it's called Letter. Remember Kissinger's advice to the Ukrainians. Lord Owen and others are most read letter of the last week. Uh-oh. A lot of Putin supporters over here. Um, let me just read a little bit of it. NATO governments have rightly said they are willing to address Russia's security concerns, but then say in the same breath 
that Russia has no legitimate security concerns because NATO is a purely defensive alliance. Whether we like it or not, a NATO that now borders Russia and could in future border even more of Russia is seen by Russia as a security concern. In 2014, Henry Kissinger wrote in the Washington Post that, quote, internationally, Ukraine should pursue a posture comparable to that of Finland. That nation leaves no doubt about its fierce independence, cooperates with the West in most fields, but carefully avoids institutional hostility to Russia. Signed by Lord Owen, UK Foreign Secretary in the late 70s. So let me translate. If you disagree with this war, if you disagree with Trudeau about Ukraine, you will be put in the category of a disloyal foreign influence shill. If you think Trudeau himself is untrustworthy, if you think this war is not a good idea, if you think the Azov Battalion are a bunch of Nazis, you're the enemy now. Just like Kissinger and Lord Owen are apparently. Like I say, it's easier than debating people, isn't it? This whole disinformation business is sort of fun. It's pseudoscience. These so-called professors are really sloppy. I mean, they get basic facts wrong. John Pilger is a famous Brit. Even I know that. Glenn Greenwald lives in Brazil. He he does like Portuguese language tweets all the time. He's he they they just know they're very low information people for professors. I'm sort of embarrassed for the University of Calgary. They didn't fact check this. They make no sense on their own terms. What does it mean to call Tulsi Gabbard, a U.S., you know, former congressman, a U.S.-influenced person? She is American. And why is she even on this list at all? I thought they said social media in Canada was under attack. Is Tulsi Gabbard invading? How did they choose the weird list of names to study? Seriously. Michael McFaul, that crank? How? The Kiev Independent, which isn't independent. How did how did I get on this list? Um, you know, this is sort of interesting. Oh, huh, look at that. One of the authors, Jean-Christophe Boucher, he's a raging Trudeau liberal on Trudeau's payroll. Oh, and look at that. He's on Big Pharma's payroll, too. He gets paid by Merck. Here's his official biography on this disinformation study. He's done this same make-believe junk science hocus-pocus before, by the way, in service of his vaccine paymasters. Here he is on Twitter. Since the beginning of the COVID pandemic, conservatives have been weak and often worked at cross-purposed and amplified or darn right stoked. Anti-vaccine narrative essentially making us less safe. How do I know this? got another pretty picture. So, so he's a bit of a partisan for hire. If you pay him enough money, he'll make a rainbow diagram with the names of people he hates on it. I'm in that one too. There, there's no science to this disinformation business. It's just McCarthyism with an inkjet printer. There's no methodology. There's no academic rigor. You can't simply say that anyone who disagrees with you is a foreign agent. That's bigotry. You can't say that anyone who thinks a war is stupid is influenced by a foreign actor. It's particularly stupid when you name people like me who've written books about how to defeat Putin in the energy wars. So, so much so that I regret I will actually never be able to visit that country. This fake professor is trying to dress up his own partisan bigotry as some sort of science. But scratch the surface and you will find he's nothing more than a paid 
Trudeau shill. I mean, look at this. The rebel has poisoned the conservative well in Canada for a long time now. Maybe it's time for conservatives to stop drinking out of it. Oh, really sciency there, boss. Really neutral. I wonder how he treats students in class who are conservative. I wonder if he docks the marks for ideological reasons. I wonder how I wound up on his list. Aren't you curious? And what does he want to do with the people he hates? The people he disagrees with. He doesn't want to debate us. He wants to shut us down. What a disgrace. A University of Calgary professor hates free speech and hates debate so much that he literally wants to silence and shut us down. That is not a professor. That is a Trudeau mole the University of Calgary, but read it in his own words. When will we shut down the rebel for spreading false information? This should be a lawsuit for undermining public safety. Bring it. Bring it, you ignorant coward. Yeah, like I say, 25 years ago, people who disagree with each other would debate each other. I'll debate this ignoramus any day. But you can see he doesn't believe in debate. In 2022, Leftists like him get government grants from Justin Trudeau and Big Pharma to come up with a pseudo-scientific case to censor their political rivals, to deplatform them. He wants us shut down. He wants us sued. Me, an old hard bop 34, <laughs> it's 155 followers. And probably you too. Stay with us for more. Stand back. Okay? Or what? Stand You're back. gonna f***ing threaten me and f***ing abuse me? Hey, guys. Do not do that. Feet. Tell him not Six to touch you. Six feet away for everybody. That's for everybody. I saw that video just over two years ago. You may recognize the voice with the Polish accent. The man in the winter camouflage says Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky. I had known him a little bit back then, certainly not as well as I've come to know him in the past two years. As you could see there, it was bitter cold in Calgary, Alberta, and he was doing what he does every weekend, what he has done for decades. He feeds the homeless, the homeless that are so lowly they're often not even allowed in homeless shelters because maybe they're on drugs or they're drunk or they have some personality disorder that makes them violent or something. They're the lowest of the low. He gives them food. He gives them, and sometimes it's quite good food, steaks. And he feeds them. He does the job that the city won't. And did you see the cops saying it was an illegal gathering as if it was some rave party, as if it was a fun social gathering rather than him feeding the hungry. And then did you see 
the cop pushing around one of Arthur Pavlovsky's colleagues saying, six feet away, six feet away. Do you see that? That video that I saw just over two years ago made me so mad. And I'm feeling that anger again today, watching it again, that I phoned Arthur Pavlovsky and I said, not only will we do a story on this, but let us crowdfund a lawyer for you. And thus our Fight the Fines project was born. We have in fact come to the aid of 2,000 people who were bullied by police. So that's more than two years ago. But two days ago, the prosecution of Arthur Pavlovsky for feeding the homeless in the bitter cold of a Christmas dinner in December of 2020, that trial began in Calgary incredibly they're proceeding against them. And in court alone were our Rebel News reporters, including Celine Galas, who joins us now from Calgary. Celine, great to see you again. Thank you very much for joining us today. Is it true that you and our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed were the only journalists in the courtroom for the prosecution of Arthur Pavlovsky? That's right, we were. Um, yeah, we were kind of hoping that someone else might turn up from uh, mainstream media, but... Lo and behold, it was just public, which is great. We got to cover the story and everything uh, else. So. It is great that you were there because you told the story and I followed you. You were live tweeting it on Twitter. I enjoyed that and I retweeted a lot of them. But it's also terrifying. Arthur Pavlovsky is a very significant public figure in Alberta because of his endless, uh, being, his endless torments by the government, the prosecutions. He was jailed for more than 50 days. The fact that not a single journalist other than Rebel News was in the court tells me just how broken the media is and how much in collusion they are with the government. I mean, seriously, tell, tell us a little bit, what is going on in court? Is it what I said it was, a prosecution for breaking the anti-gathering lockdown rule? Is that, did I get that right for Christmas 2020? He was feeding the homeless and they charged him with an illegal gathering. Is that the charge? Yeah, it's a little bit more particular than that. Um, they're trying to get him on the account of it being some sort of Christians only private event. Um, that's what they're trying to get him for. Uh, if, you know, public gatherings uh, were not allowed either, but it, it's, uh, it's very specific. The narrative that they're pushing is that it's Christians only. And, and a lot of the, the questions that uh, Sarah Miller, uh, Arthur Pawlowski's lawyer was asking um, the witnesses that are testifying against Arthur is if they saw him turning down anyone from the food lines or or any people in general from this public event. And all of them, all eight, there's a couple more actually, uh, dates to be established in the future for that one. But uh, they all agreed that no one was turned away um, and that they have no evidence uh, that they could provide as to who uh, was invited, invited, if this was a, uh, indeed a private event. Um, I followed that line of questioning on your Twitter feed and on Sheila's the day before, and I think I understand it because Arthur lets anyone come. I've seen it. I've seen it. He literally, if you were there, he will feed you. He doesn't, he doesn't ask for your ID. He doesn't okay. give you a quiz. You don't have to fill out an Arrive Cam Can app on your phone. He'll take you, frankly, whatever religion you are, he doesn't ask. Um, he's a Christian himself. That's why he's doing this. 
But the government is trying to make it seem like, no, this was a special party. Only his friends were invited. Other people were turned away. They're trying to make it seem like it was some special gathering because they're worried that it'll be thrown out otherwise. It's so desperate. I can't believe that the police and the prosecutors are going along with it. Like, it feels desperate. I'm only going by your tweets, though. What does the judge look like? Who is the judge? Is, a, is it a young judge, an older judge, a male or female judge? You know the name of the judge? And, and what, what is the judge? If you can, sometimes judges are completely inscrutable. They're like a statue, stone-faced. Is there any indication that this judge has uh, some feeling about the case, or, or is it just too hard to tell? Um, actually, that is the one thing, you know, court is a very interesting process as it, uh, as it stands, you know, being a witness from the inside, it's certainly different than I thought it would be, you know, just from hearing about it or seeing it in movies. But this judge in particular is actually, he's pretty great uh, from what I could tell. I, I think he has a little bit of a soft spot for Arthur, uh, Arthur, if I, if I might be so bold as to um, exclaim, but... Uh, there's a few times that uh, the Crown Prosecutor, he actually forgot to mention uh, her name. He's a, like a middle-aged man. Um, you know, no, no, nothing too particular about him except uh, there's lots of sighs, you know, lots of heavy-handed leanings and breathing into the microphone and pauses. And I think everyone is just super fed up with this, uh, this process. It's ridiculous, Ezra. Yeah, I mean, I think you said eight witnesses um, like the whole thing was on videotape. Arthur videos his own event, so it's not like you needed a super-duper spy camera to catch him. He advertises events. He's not shy about these events. And I'm using the word event. That implies that it's, woo, let's go down and be homeless together because we might get a free burger out of it. They're not events in that sense. The people yeah. are there on the street all the time, but the best part of their week is when this uh, Polish pastor comes and gives them food and a pep talk. The, the fact that they're bringing in government witness after government witness, it sounds like they're spending a staggering amount of resources, both of police and prosecutors on this case. Uh, going by rough numbers, how many cops are on the Arthur Pavlovsky lunch beat? And is it just the one prosecuting lawyer or is there more? So I've just seen one lawyer so far, um, but there are... I mean, there's several police officers, and then um, the rest of them that I've seen just with my two days in court have been uh, peace officers. Um, and all of them seem to be part of the same public safety unit um, that was all established around the same time that the COVID lockdown began and uh, these protests started happening. Yeah, it sounds like they have this entire squad just to take yeah. on Arthur. And I, I truly believe that Jason Kenney's vendetta against Arthur Pavlovsky, which is so weird because when I knew Jason Kenney, he was a very serious Christian who believed in Christian rights. Kenney picked up Nahid Nenshi's vendetta against Arthur Pavlovsky and had this whole hunter-killer team of prosecutors and health police, and it sounds like that's still going on. The, the fact that a prosecutor doesn't look at this and say, there's no likelihood of conviction, there's no public interest here, this was two years ago uh, when we didn't know how to do things in the pandemic. He was feeding the homeless. There's no public interest here. The fact that they are proceeding in June of 2022 with the prosecution of it shows yeah. that there is some institutional bigotry here. 
you that you would think we'd be done with, but it's not. Now, our friend Sidney Fazar interviewed Arthur about this, and I think we have that clip. Let's just take a listen to that for Arthur's point of view. Let's go back to the merits of the case, because, I mean, a lawyer's talk, some people do not even understand what you're talking about. What did I do? What is this whole trial all, all about? Well, I fed the poor. And I fed the poor in the middle of the greatest crisis that this land has ever seen. I am not sorry that I feed the poor. I will not apologize that I'm feeding the poor. I'm actually believe that this is the greatest privilege for a man like me to be able to assist the less fortunate and to save lives. And for that, I will never apologize. That's Arthur Pavlovsky being interviewed by our friend Sid. Um, the lawyer on Arthur's side, Sarah Miller, I've gotten to know her pretty well over the last two years. She has been in court at least a dozen times for Arthur. And I, I have to say, she's one of the smartest lawyers I've encountered. And we have far too many lawyers we work with here at Rebel News. But uh, I have to say, she really is the cream of the crop. How is she doing in court? Is she on her own or does she have a junior counsel with her? And does she... Yeah, I know, I, know, I know you're not a lawyer yourself, but just from a layman's point of view, how is she coming across? Uh, fantastic. Uh, it's just her. It is just her. I haven't seen anybody else with her. I'm pretty sure that she has just been taking uh, this entire case on solo. Listen, I appreciate you being in court and live tweeting it, the fact that you were there by yourself. And in Calgary, which is a fair-sized city, more than a million people, there are probably a dozen newspaper reporters between the Herald and the Sun that could cover this beat, the National Post, the Globe and Mail. They also have people in the city. Obviously, the CBC state broadcaster has well over 100 staff in the city. There's CTV and Global News as well. The fact that of all of these news agencies, not a single one was in court is a disgrace to them, and it proves my point that the media party is in league with the government and I'm glad you're there, Celine, and we'll look forward to your update uh, when this trial resumes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Right on, our pleasure. That's Celine Glass from our Calgary office. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back. Your letters, MZ Twixt says... This is one of your best reports yet. Thank you, Ezra. People need to spread this fast, far and wide. You're talking about Yuval Noah Harari. You know what? I, I've got to watch extended videos of him. I'm sorry that the clips I used were sort of pre-produced. And I, I'm not saying I necessarily disagree with those commentaries, but I wish that they were cleaner clips. Um, I've started to read through his books. I've started to watch his videos. I want to say that he's obviously very clever. I mean, duh. Um, and some of his observations, you can't deny them. Like his explanation for why he doesn't use a smartphone, I thought was actually pretty telling. Some of the times it sounds like he's just making a prediction of what's going to come. But other times he sort of lusts for it and don't think he doesn't have views of his own. He doesn't believe in any God other than himself. That's the name of his book, Homo Deus. He thinks he's a God. David Chase says, your new age of digital surveillance violates my old age privacy and civil rights. Yeah, but when was the last time our Charter of Rights protected anything valuable to you? Must be before the pandemic. 
Steroid Olympics 2012 says these men were picked on as children, narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths, classic products of emotional neglect and abuses of all varieties. Look, I have no idea. I mean, I read a little bit about his biography, and it sounds like he had a happy enough upbringing. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I think they get a God complex. I mean, I've told you before how Bill Gates, for example, had this insane plan of putting billions of tons of dust in the air to literally block out the sun. That was his climate change plan. Like, that that's a madman. That is like a Bond villain's insane plan. Um, he wants to reduce the population of the world by some massive percentage. He says that. And yet he's also Mr. Vaccine. How That just doesn't square. Um, there's something deeply wrong with some of these people. I agree with you. I don't know if it's because they were bull bullied as children. Um, I think Bill Gates is one of the worst. He sort of cultivates that, oh, shucks, it's just me image. But I think he's diabolical. Anyways, uh, what do you think of this disinformation study at the University of Calgary? I, uh, I'm embarrassed for my alma mater. How about you? That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with our video of the day. Our dear friend David Menzies tracked down Patrick Brown, the mayor of Brampton and Conservative Party leadership candidate, and found him in a secret office. David confronted him, and Patrick Brown ran away and got in his getaway car and sped away. And the chase ensued. I'll let you watch it for yourself. You don't want to miss this video. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Bye-bye. This man cannot stop lying. You were detained, okay, in regards to criminal harassment. David Menzies for Rebel News here in Vaughan, Ontario. Now, folks, we are trying to track down the secret campaign headquarters of sneaky Patrick Brown, the mayor of Brampton. And you know what? We found it in this nondescript office building, unit number 20 on City View Boulevard. There is Patrick Brown's campaign office in full flight. And I guess there's really nothing wrong with that. Although it's kind of funny that he's based in Brampton, but he's running his uh, boiler room out of Vaughan. But here's the thing, folks. There are several senior City of Brampton officials that are working on this campaign. And we know this for sure. Just in front of me, uh, about 55 meters ahead of me, is the white Audi SUV that belongs to Babu Nagulingam. He is the chief of staff for the mayor. I have been coming here for the last several weeks and I've been documenting the fact that that SUV that is owned by Babu is parked here. Also, another uh, interesting character, Margaret Beveridge. She's the senior director of operations, the mayor's office. She has also shown up here in her white Fiat. There are several other city employees. They've been on planes crisscrossing Canada with Mayor Patrick Brown as he tries to succeed in being the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada.
We were told these staffers were working on the Brown campaign while still fully employed by the city of Brampton. And if this is the case, that's offside. Indeed, according to Section 4 and Section 5 of the Brampton Council Code of Conduct, quote, no member shall use for personal purposes any city property, equipment, services, supplies, or services of consequence other than for purposes connected with the discharge of city duties, which may include activities within the member's office of which city council has been advised, end quote. And here's another nugget, quote, no member shall use the facilities, equipment, supply services, or other resources of the city for any election campaign or campaign related activities. No member shall use the services of persons for campaign related activities during hours in which those persons receive any compensation from the city, end quote. Now, can you believe it, folks? It just so happens when we came here today, guess who showed up himself? Yeah, the big enchilada, Patrick Brown. As soon as he saw us, oh, well, the sneaky one, he jumped into uh, his chauffeur-driven black Ford Explorer SUV, and he literally hit the road. Check out the footage. You ready? We unlocked. Yeah. Here's the mic. I'm rolling. Why are you quiet? You know what? Well, there's no other way out. We'll go back this way. <laughs> I had to. You saw me. You saw us. Go, go, get it. Just do a straight shot right there. now. He's like a cornered weasel. He doesn't know what to do. This is our second foray down the southbound lanes of the Highway 400. Uh, he exited at Rutherford and went back up north, got off at Teston, went to his secret party headquarters, well, drove by it, and now he's going south on the 400 uh, again. I'm pretty sure he knows we're following him right now. There's no way to sugarcoat Patrick Brown's character. He is a compulsive liar. Indeed, back when he was the leader of the Ontario PC party, he threw social conservatives under the bus when he campaigned against the Liberals' sex ed curriculum, only to later flip-flop and support that very same sex ed curriculum. And I have no intention of scrapping the sex, edu sex education curriculum. He then shockingly threw fiscal conservatives under the bus by deciding it would somehow be a good idea for Ontario, a manufacturing province, to have its very own carbon tax. This is it. Oh my God, he's going back? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, are we ready? I think we are. And when there were no more conservatives to throw under the bus, well, guess what? The PC party threw Patrick Brown under the bus back in January 2018. Such was the contempt and distaste for this backstabber 
that he was forced to walk the plank less than six months before the provincial election. It's not my values. It's not how I raised. It's not who I am. Brown would later become mayor of Brampton, even though he has no connections to the city whatsoever. Zero point zero. Yet Patrick Brown is all about acquiring power for the sake of acquiring power. And he certainly does not lead by example. Brampton was perhaps the most locked down city in all of Canada during the COVID-19 mandates. Brown even hired security guards to rat out people to Brampton bylaw enforcement for the egregious crime of, oh, making use of fenced off baseball diamonds or soccer fields. And all the while, this hypocrite was secretly playing hockey with his berry buddies at a Brampton rink. Well, folks, um, we're getting the bums rush, but holy mackerel, I think I see Patrick Brown himself. Oh, hey, how you doing? Mr. Brown, right? Yeah. David Manzi's a rebel new. You're in a, you're in a city facility? What's that? You're in a city facility? Yeah, so are yeah. you. Yeah. So, are you yeah. playing hockey here? Or? No, I'm just coming to check in our facility. So okay, I'm gonna, then. we're gonna check you. You're, you're not supposed to be here, actually. Okay. We were told that uh, you play pickup here. Mr. Brown, how come uh, the kids in Brampton can only practice sports, but your buddies can play hockey? Yeah. So, um, I don't know why um, you are harassing people in the city of Brampton, but you shouldn't be. Oh, who's harassing who? Your, you, your, your guys handed out 122 bylaw violations in one week. Mr. Brown, why is there a hockey game going on in this arena? I thought you're only allowed to uh, practice sports, not play them. And who is paying the $1,000 a day, Mr. Brown, for this rink? Mr. Brown? Are these taxpayer dollars being used for your buddies to play hockey on this rink? Or are you paying it? Or perhaps we'll lead Solomon. So Mr. Brown, why is it one law for me and one law for thee in this city? Clearly one law for thee, one law for me. Naturally, he now claims he was the, quote, anti-lockdown mayor, end quote, during the pandemic, even though the evidence clearly shows otherwise. The freedoms of families and businesses and the mental health of Canadians, I was one of the only big city mayors to speak out and demand an end to restrictions. He is, was, and always has been a compulsive liar. We've seen you shut down Brampton Public And when my colleague Lincoln Jay got to ask him a question at the last Conservative leadership debate and that aforementioned hockey scandal, what did Patrick Brown do? With your friends, and you lied about that too. What do you say to voters that don't believe you because of your past actions? Well, I certainly don't agree with uh, rebel media uh, and was very clear that I was one of the few big city mayors that pushed back against the closures of, of recreation. Um, and I'm sure you know that complaint from Rebel um, was found to be factually uh, incorrect. And uh, I'm proud of my record during COVID-19 to have been one of the few big city mayors in the country who didn't have vaccine mandates and pushed 
um, to uh, make sure that recreation was open to, to stay active, to stay fit. And now comes his latest scandal. Brown is using City of Brampton employees to sell CPC memberships. Some of those senior employees actually flew across Canada with Brown, traveling as far away as Calgary, Edmonton and Vancouver, when they should have been working for the citizens of Brampton, Ontario. Patrick Brown drove straight to the Brampton police headquarters. Okay, go, get out. Okay, then. Okay, we get out right now. Go, go, please, please, please. Mr. Brown! Mr. Brown! Mr. Brown, why are uh, senior City of Brampton staff working out of your secret campaign headquarters in Vaughan? Mr. Brown, is that on the taxpayer dollar? Have they taken a leave of absence? Mr. Brown, why are City of uh, Brampton employees working at your campaign headquarters in Vaughan? Is this on the taxpayer dollar? Mr. Brown. Oh, okay then. All right then. Okay. Jump out of your car so fast. We're trying to conduct a traffic stop on you. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, why is that, Let's sir? Let's go back outside. Okay, sure. Why would you want to conduct a traffic stop? We came on this? in going a little faster in our parking lot. So we want to see what's going on. Oh, is that right? I'm just uh, following uh, Patrick Brown's vehicle, officer. Okay. He has a secret campaign headquarters. No, that's fine. Regardless of that point, we okay. know who he is. Okay. Now we're gonna find out who you are. Oh, my name is David Menzies. I'm a uh, okay. reporter. Your driver's license for me. Absolutely. Do you know the team is, uh... Sorry. Sorry, sir. Hey. What's your problem? He's my cameraman, officer. Awesome. Hang out over here. Sorry, my name is Winston J. Perfect. What's your name? My name's Sergeant Crawford. Nice to meet you. I have yeah. no idea what he said on his phone call to Brampton Police. He is sneaky Patrick Brown, so it could be anything. Maybe he thought we were um, carjackers. Uh, that seems to be very much in vogue these days. And it's kind of funny, look at all the police officers at Lincoln. It's now three police cruisers, um, you know, active police cruisers. There's far more parked behind us because we are in police headquarters. Hey, how are you? Very good, officer. Okay, there's your, there's your ID back. Thank you. So our traffic stop's done. You have you were detained, okay, in regards to criminal harassment. Oh, really? Okay? Yeah, okay. detained. We're not doing anything right now. Our CIB is going to follow up with you later on. And okay? I'm we're sorry. Putting, hold on. Okay. We're putting a report on in regards to kind of what happened today. Okay. Our criminal investigative bureau they'll make contact with you later on, and they'll do a follow up and continue the investigation. And I'm sorry, sir, I don't understand what was the criminal harassment? Criminal harassing Patrick Brown in regards to your mannerisms and what you were doing following him. Oh, we were practicing journalism, sir. Okay. Okay. That'll come out in the investigation. Okay. Our criminal investigative bureau will follow up with you later on. Okay. And then they'll con conduct and conclude their investigation with whatever results that they have. On Friday night, past 10 p.m., both Lincoln Jay and I were called by a Peel Regional Police Detective. We were told the Peel cops were looking into charging us with criminal harassment. I have some 
Terrible news to report my friend. This wouldn't be the first time, by the way, Brown has sicked the cops on us. Check out this footage from 2020 when I was arrested for standing on the parking lot of a taxpayer-funded rec center. Reporting on the corrupt mayor of the city, Patrick Brown. Are you ready to leave now? I am not, sir. I am here to... I'm going to help you off the property, that's all. Uh, I swear to you that we will go through such a disclosure procedure and we will have every one of the officers there and we will answer the question, who made the order to arrest a journalist doing public interest journalism on a public sidewalk? I'm not under arrest, so you can't touch me. Are you, are you wanting to leave then? I'm I am not. What they have given to us is an opening to give that rotten, City Hall, an enema. There is a very important constitutional principle at stake. Look at this, four cars and all you cops pulled off the shooting file. You must be proud. You're not listening to it. You're not listening to it. Not three, but four police cars came to arrest a journalist? So we are here back at the secret headquarters of Patrick Brown. Incredibly, Babu's white uh, Audi is still here. I would have thought he would have hit the road too. That would have been the smart thing. Let's go inside and see if we can find Babu or any other city of Brampton staff who should be working for the taxpayers of Brampton, not for Sneaky Mayor Patrick Brown's campaign. And if they are, that they get a leave of absence. Uh, we'll be uh, very interested to see if we can document that. I'm sure that's what they're gonna claim, but we wanna see that in writing. In any event, let's go inside and see what we can find. Is he recording? Recording? Hey, how you doing there? We're just looking for uh, Babu. Is it recording? I am recording, sir, yes. Oh, John Natishan, how you doing there? How are you like that? <laughs> Anyways, I'm just wondering. Yeah, excuse me. Is, uh, excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Oh, oh, You're not me. allowed to be on this property. Oh, I'm asking you to leave now. Okay, where's Babu? Much. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, oh, sorry, don't squeeze my arm like oh, that. No, no, you're um, leaving, right? How many uh, City of Brampton employees? Great. How are you doing? Yeah. How do you like that? It's great. Uh, Babu, Margaret Beveridge. What's there? Uh, can you can you get your hands off me? Uh, can you get out of the office? I am I am moving. No, but, no, uh, you're not moving. I'm I, I, you're refusing oh, to leave. Oh, is that right? I you thought you were. Uh, I thought you weren't involved uh, in the. Uh, hang on a second. I thought you weren't involved. Do you have a release for me for that video? It doesn't need it. It doesn't need it. Why? No. Because we're we're practicing journalism. You no, know you're not. Yeah. Uh, uh, you as well. Where's uh, Babu? Please. His Audi is there. Is out, please. His Audi is there. Thank you very much. John, how, why did you lie about not being involved with the campaign? So there you have it, folks. 
Babu is literally hiding. We know he's here. That's his SUV over there. Now we did reach out to six of these employees. Babu Nagalangam, Margaret Beveridge, Kuldip Goli, Sri Valapuranathar, Iqbal Singh, and Yeshwa Yonis. Our questions included the following. Why are you regularly working in the city of Vaughan and not the city of Brampton, the municipality that employs you? Why are you flying across Canada with Brown and not working for the city of Brampton? Are you working on Mr. Brown's campaign for conservative leader while still being paid by the city of Brampton? Did you notify the chief administrative officer for the city of Brampton that you were taking time off from your municipal duties to work on the Patrick Brown campaign? And if you have indeed taken leave of absence from your city of Brampton position, can you kindly forward the documentation that would prove this? Now, Mr. Miss Beveridge rather and Mr. Goley responded saying they were not being paid while working on the Brown campaign. Yet when we asked to see the written evidence that would prove this story, no evidence was forthcoming. Mr. Jonas claimed he never went to Edmonton and Vancouver, but he failed to mention Calgary. That's likely because we have eyewitness confirmation that he attended a rally in Calgary on May 13th, staged by Raman Katra. Oops. In the meantime, as you saw, uh, John Natishan, who earlier um, told my colleague uh, Lincoln Jay that he had nothing to do with the Patrick Brown campaign. Well, there he is. Uh, he's the guy that manhandled me out to give me the bums rush. Wow, birds of a feather, they really do stick together. And finally, if Patrick Brown is the mayor of Brampton and he resides in Brampton, why has he hidden his office in this secretive Vaughn Industrial Park? It doesn't make sense and we would never have found it if he weren't tipped off. And once again, just like when we caught sneaky Patrick Brown in the hockey rink, well, that tip was gold. This man cannot stop breaking the rules. He cannot stop lying. Riddle me this, is this the character you want as the head of the Conservative Party? Is this the person you want as Prime Minister? Wow. For Rebel News, I'm David the Menzoid Menzies. Well, I'll tell you, these uh, Patrick Brown operatives, they really burn the midnight oil. It's coming up for eight o'clock and I don't know, Babu is either in a, uh, a refrigerator or under a desk or something, but uh, this is a back entrance. He hasn't come out. His audio is still there. Ah, we got the time.